0: You're listening to Life Solved from the University of Portsmouth, where we uncover world-changing work from our researchers and scientists. I'm John Worsey, a writer at Portsmouth, and my colleagues and I have been catching time with these brilliant minds for some lunch break interviews. Earlier in this series we heard about Anastasia Callaghan's research into how bacteria behave and how they develop antibiotic resistance. This time we're looking at how another team are working with the problem in hospitals.
1: We will end up with quite a nice matrix of different components plus multiple species of bacteria growing on the plastic. And actually, very often the patient hasn't got an infection. It's just because the bacteria have formed the biofilm up the plastic and then the patient's immune system is responding to that because it shouldn't be there bacteria are very promiscuous so if they have an element of dna that will help them to resist an antibiotic then actually they're quite good at sharing those very problematic particularly with patients that have got urinary catheters
0: we'll also hear about what happened when she took a health food and tested out its antimicrobial qualities for good the results were pretty exciting
1: it's got wound healing it's got anti-cancer properties it's also got antimicrobial properties Now what we need to do is try and think about taking that a step forward and taking that into a clinical
0: environment. I spoke to Sarah Fooch about how her research is battling bad bacteria with a sweet secret weapon, a kind of antimicrobial honey. Dr. Sarah Fuchs is from the School of Pharmacy and Biomedical Sciences.
1: So I am a microbiologist. The area of research that I'm particularly interested in are multi-resistant organisms and how we can go about treating those, so antimicrobial resistance.
0: Sarah came to her research after working in the NHS for 12 years. She'd originally studied her degrees and worked in labs, but for her, seeing the impact of this work in the real world is what drives her research. She's recently been part of the team looking at COVID-19 samples at Basingstoke Hospital, moving through hundreds of tests a day to help doctors and medical staff better understand the virus. Yet even before the coronavirus pandemic, Sarah had witnessed the effects of rising antibiotic resistance in her work.
1: When you work within the healthcare environment, particularly if you're on call at the weekend and evenings, and you're dealing sort of almost one-to-one, you may not have the patient facing role, but you're still dealing with that patient sample and dealing one-to-one with a patient is, you know, and then you hear whether the patient's made it or they haven't and having that sort of connection with that patient, you understand, you know what, resistance is really increasing and this is going to be a problem. We've dealt with patients, sometimes very young patients with sepsis. Right. And, you know, if the antibiotics, if the patient is late presenting or the antibiotics, the bacteria resistant it's to the known, antibiotics, yeah. we've actually lost the patients right. in the past antibiotics can often be called antimicrobial resistance, antibacterial resistance, all those sorts of things. So when we're talking about multi-resistant organisms, probably a really good example would be MRSA. And everybody's heard of MRSA within the hospital environment. And that is just an organism that is resistant to multiple classes of antibiotics.
0: It seems a race against time to find ways of tackling antibiotic resistance to make sure modern medicine can continue to save lives around the world. But to face the problem, we first need to understand why bacteria, particularly bad bacteria, spread resistance to drugs in the first place.
1: So these are bugs that are causing infections, but multiple antibiotics will not work right. against them. So we're finding that more and more Bacteria are resisting antibiotics, so the antibiotics aren't working. So they can produce virulence factors that help them either break down the antibiotic or pump the antibiotic out bacteria are are very promiscuous so if they have an element of dna that will help them to resist an antibiotic then actually they're quite good at sharing those so they're good at sharing them within species but they're also good at sharing them with other species as well so we start to see these resistances in certain species and then the sort of resistance gets worse between other species of bacteria The sharing can occur in multiple ways, that we can have daughter cells, we can have replication of bacteria and daughter cells will share those resistances. But we can also have the sharing of resistance plasmids, so little areas of DNA that can be shared between different bacteria. Bacteria are very clever. If you have a sort of area where you have multiple different bacterial species, they can have what's called quorum sensing. So they will sense their environment. If there are too many bacteria there and nutrients are too low, they may move away or they may produce toxic substances to kill off other bacteria. Um, So they're quite clever.
0: We all have a host of good bacteria living in our bodies. This helps with all sorts of processes like digesting food and absorbing nutrients. It's estimated you have 10 times more bacterial cells in your body than human cells. And most of these are in the digestive system. Sarah began to look at how this plays a role in how an antibiotic tablet enters and behaves in our systems. Could this be contributing to the problem?
1: When you take anything orally, It's going to be absorbed slightly differently. Different amounts are going to get to our gastrointestinal tract. And what I am interested in is, are we increasing antimicrobial resistance within our normal gastrointestinal flora? Because the amount of antibiotic that's getting down to that area, is it removing bacteria? Or those bacteria that are still resident, is it helping them to overcome the effects of that antibiotic? There is evidence that quite a high proportion of us are colonised with multi-resistant organisms in our gastrointestinal tract. Are we consuming products yeah. where they're, they're there, but surely if we've cooked those, mm. they should you know be eradicated? Or is it the fact that we are taking antibiotics or other medications that are affecting our gastrointestinal flora, and is it making it more resistant?
0: Sarah gave the example of female urinary tract infections. This common occurrence left untreated can lead to sepsis, something which Sarah has experienced firsthand.
1: I have a particular love for a particular type of resistance, which is extended spectrum beta-lactamase producing organisms, because I suffered septicemia from one in 2010. To have a look at the prevalence and to have a look at actually are we promoting multi-resistant organisms within ourselves by the treatments that we have um, really did resonate with me they're completely harmless to us until they get to other areas of the body right so if you think about females are very very prone to urinary tract infections because of our anatomy yeah but if we're colonized in our gastrointestinal tract with multi-resistant organisms we are more likely to then contaminate other areas of our body with a multi-resistant organism and then end up having an infection with that multi-resistant
0: organism in order to simulate a real environment for the bacteria she was studying, Sarah and her team had to build an artificial version in the lab.
1: What I'm trying to do is almost build a gastrointestinal model so that actually we can treat this gastrointestinal yeah. model. We've carried out some primary research, with a very crude model, yeah. but actually what we want to do is, is mimic that the gastrointestinal yeah. tract a lot more and then have a look to see the doses that actually reach the gastrointestinal tract, are they having okay. a detrimental effect on the bacteria that are resident? So that would basically be, you know, taking a fecal sample from a patient and then treating it as you would do if there was a, a pathology somewhere yes. else and then seeing what happens to the resistance in that, that okay. normal flora. We will literally have the anaerobic cabinet. We will literally have vessels in there, and it will be almost a gastrointestinal okay. model so the, away. So, needs, so there'll be media pumped in and media pumped out, and different pHs in the different areas yeah. of the gastrointestinal tract. Thinking about sort of mucin that's in there, um, thinking about different nutrients that need to be in there, all of yeah. those sorts of things. We have quite a bit of mucus within our guts so that everything happily travels through and some bacteria will quite happily sit in there and reside in there all the time.
0: Manuka honey is renowned for its healing powers but Sarah explained that the antimicrobial properties could be really useful in everyday hospital contexts. In fact, it might even be a clue to how we tackle these multi-resistant infections going forward. The first step was to try it out in the lab.
1: Manuka honey has been shown to have antimicrobial properties for a long time. It's got wound healing, it's got anti-cancer properties, it's also got antimicrobial properties. And we carried out some research a couple of years ago to have a look to see if it would actually penetrate a bacterial biofilm and if it would break the biofilm down or if it would actually stop the biofilm from forming.
0: Right. What's well, a biofilm, sorry.
1: So a biofilm is if I put this in a clinical perspective, patients that have catheters, urinary yep. catheters fitted, they often have problems because the bacteria like to grow on the plastic. So we will end up with quite a nice matrix of different components plus multiple species of bacteria growing on the plastic. And actually the very often the patient Hasn't got an infection. It's just because the bacteria form the biofilm up the plastic, and then the patient's immune system is responding to that because it shouldn't be there. Very problematic, particularly with patients that have got urinary catheters. They'll form a biofilm on on most surfaces. Hmm. So in a laboratory environment, if you wanted to form a biofilm plastic, they'll form a biofilm on glass slides. In a clinical environment, plastic's used because it's very pliable, so a patient can move about without sort of having that discomfort. Our research showed that actually the Manuka honey was able to break down a biofilm quite nicely, and it was able to inhibit the biofilm quite nicely, which is all fine when you've got results that are in a small teeter tray.
0: So far, so good for the promising results shown in the lab. But how do you replicate this in an actual catheter without things getting sticky?
1: Now, the annoying thing about Manuka honey is the fact that it has lots of different constituents that are thought to make up its antimicrobial properties. If you use those individually, they don't work as well. There is thoughts about incorporating it into the plastic. um, But again, obviously, you would need to break those honey constituents down in order to be able to incorporate it into the plastic and then its antimicrobial agents are lost a little bit it's there's also thought about sort of lining the catheter bag but then that's going to be pretty gloopy Mm, because manuka honey is pretty thick yes um so we're thinking about a couple of things we're thinking about potentially looking to see if we could combine different constituents in order to see if we can still maintain that antimicrobial activity we're also thinking about honey flushes to flush the catheter bag out once a day from the end of the catheter that's obviously not in the patient because otherwise that's going to be quite difficult to get to but literally just flushing a catheter bag out every day so that it's got a nice sort of honey coat that will try and reduce that biofilm from forming within the catheter bag We're using the lab environment, we're using a 37 degree room and basically contaminating a catheter bag and then using honey flushes either once a day or twice a day for a long period of time to see if we can actually see a reduction in A the biofilm and B the bacterial viable load within a control and within the different bags with the different types of honey flushes. We've noticed that 15 plus and 20 plus UMF factor Manuka honey actually are very good and they are showing quite a significant difference between the the control and the um, bags that have been treated either once a day or twice daily. So UMF factor is a unique Manuka factor. We're actually diluting it and we're still seeing antimicrobial okay. properties with it diluted. Right. So we're diluting sort of... We're starting at 25% and then yeah. working down. So, you know, that, that's, that's quite a nice... Because if we're thinking about a honey flush yeah. with a catheter bag, actually that's going to be quite tricky if you're trying to flush this gloopy agent into yeah, your yeah. G- <laughs> It's probably yeah. going to clog up the tap and everything else. Yeah, yeah. So actually by making it quite liquid, then to have a flat honey flush would be quite yeah. quite nice if we had perfect results, we could find a way to incorporate the honey into the plastic yeah. because that would actually sort of almost kill two birds yeah. with one stone um, because obviously there's part of the catheter that's inserted inside of the patient. And that also still has the potential to have biofilms in there and cause an infection. So if we can incorporate the honey into the plastic, that yeah. would be brilliant. Yeah, At the moment, that bit's an area that we can't get to. Yeah. But equally, a lot of catheter infections, the bag becomes infected and then the bacteria ascend up and into the patient. So if we can actually reduce the chances of that bag becoming infected, yes. then that, that will equally have impact for the patients.
0: Sarah explained that there's a way to go before her honey flushes make it into hospitals. There's more to figure out, and not just technically in the context of catheters. What
1: we're trying to do is take it from the very primary research that we've had uh, literally one vessel stomach um, through to then a more enhanced gastrointestinal model. What we're hoping to do is get a student in the lab for a whole year, probably as an MRes, and really develop this model so that we're able then to perhaps think about maybe even a PhD for a further three years to look at the effects of different treatments. The implications could be the fact that actually what we need to do is look at our treatment regimes. So it may be the fact that you know, we may need to, to hit with a higher dose of antibiotic for yep. less time, or it may be the fact that we need to treat for longer. If our antibiotic regimes that we're using at the moment are just tickling the bacteria in the gastrointestinal tract and allowing yep. them to become more resistant, we need to do something about that. So yep. it could inform prescribing.
0: Right. By bringing different ideas together, it sounds like there are opportunities to tackle some of the biggest problems facing medicine in the future. You can find out more about Sarah's work at port.ac.uk forward slash research. Next time on Life Solved, how research taking place at Portsmouth is being used to change the way we talk about water safety. Drowning kills around 320,000 people worldwide per year. So is enough being done? A really important thing is to try and get this preventative messaging in to people before they enter into a high-risk group. There's more children dying in water than there are in fires or on bikes, and yet We will have bicycle proficiency in schools. We will have um, information on the TV about fire protection, about having smoke detectors. Find out more next time. And if you have a curious mind and can't wait for the next episode, our new magazine, Solve, follows University of Portsmouth research when it's put into practice. It's full of news and stories on our world-leading advances and the changes these are making to lives and futures across the world. Get it at port.ac.uk forward slash solve. Let us know what you think via social media using the hashtag LifeSolved, or maybe just share the big idea with a friend. Thanks for listening.